Here's the question. Are you a business owner wanting to grow your business, but you're struggling with how your podcast can help? Well, welcome to the show that's about to change all that. I am your host, Cliff Dubinois, and in this podcast, we're taking the problems of podcasting head on. Entrepreneurs like you will share their strategies, tactics, and tips that they use every day with their podcast to make it an effective marketing and revenue tool in their toolkit. Welcome to Entrepreneurs on Podcast. Hey there, world changers, and welcome to another episode of Entrepreneurs on Podcasting. And I got to admit, we've got a great guest lined up for you today. A lot of knowledge is coming your way. So today's guest loves to say that it took him 10 years to unlearn what he was taught in business school. University trained him to be a great middle manager in big enterprises, and he was totally unprepared for the realities of small business. After a career in advertising sales, our guest today started several businesses, including a commercial debt brokerage house. Helping to finance small and medium-sized businesses led to the field of business brokerage. After over several years, our guest today sold dozens of businesses for other people while also managing his own portfolio in income properties and starting his career as a local private investor. Our guest today regularly consults with professionals and banks on a business and asset values. Presently, he also works with entrepreneurs and would-be entrepreneurs around the world who are buying, selling, or trying to improve their business. His podcast, The Small Business and Dealmaking, has over 400 episodes. We're talking eight years. He has been podcasting, so he knows a thing or two of what he's talking about. Please welcome to the show, this multi-Amazon best-selling author, David Barnett. David, how are you? Hey, Cliff. I'm doing amazing today. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you for coming here today, and I'm looking forward to really exploring how you're using podcasting in your business. And I know I approached it a little bit in the intro, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about what your business entails? Sure. So my everyday day-to-day of my business is that I work for and with clients. So I call myself a coach and consultant because I primarily coach people through the process of buying or selling a business or many of the things involved in that. So like getting the financing for the buyers or helping to organize and better systematize a business when I'm working with a seller. And so I I coach people through the process, but I also act as a consultant in that I do certain things for my clients that they are ill-suited to do on their own. So for a business seller, I will actually do the business valuation, do the packaging, create what we call the business profile or the information memorandum so that we're ready then to talk with a buyer. So it's consulting things as well as the coaching. And for buyers, I even have a group coaching program as well. I meet with those people three times a month. So my day-to-day is spent doing the work with my clients and the podcasting and YouTube channel and all the stuff that I do online, as well as the books, is all part of the marketing funnel that helps to bring those people to me. And one of the things that I would like to uh, discuss is what made you decide to start using podcasting in the first place? Well, it's interesting because I was actually laying awake late one night thinking about different things. And I, and I realized, and, and you mentioned during my my intro bio there about local investing. Back when I was a finance broker, I learned how banks and leasing companies arrange their deals in order to secure their own interest in the case of someone not paying. And 
I, I basically copied that and I started to do these small deals on my own. So financing pieces of equipment and things like this. And when I started to do that, I was curious, I wanted to go learn more and I couldn't find a book about it. And so I realized laying in bed one night that I should write that book. So I wrote my first book. This was back in 2014. It was called Invest Local. And it was all about how you can be an investor in small size businesses without actually owning them and protect your security interest the way that leasing companies and banks do when they make loans or, or finance things. And so I had this book and it went on Amazon and of course nobody bought it. And so I thought, well, how am I going to promote this? And so I started the YouTube channel where I started to talk about some of these things, but comments would come in and people would ask questions and I would always somehow get suckered into these conversations about buying and selling businesses. And of course, over the course of the first year, the whole tone of the channel changed from being strictly about that book to being about buying and selling businesses. And that, that begat some more books. And I was actually working uh, at a bank at, at that time. I, I had left my business brokerage in 2011. I took a job with a bank and then the bank reorganized and I realized, hey, there's there are offers or packages going to be offered to people as, as severance. This is the opportunity for me to recreate myself using the knowledge I have. I can make a consulting business. One of the problems with business brokerage is that there's a crazy roller coaster cash flow. You only get paid when deals close. Right. And so I thought I can reformat my business or my use my knowledge in a better way. And so I basically decided to use the business model of attorneys and CPAs which is you work with people and as they do things, as you do things with your lawyer, they give you a bill for the work that they did. And so that's what I did. And, and I started to use the YouTube channel as a way to bring attention to what I was doing to help introduce myself to potential clients. And then I also started to do an audio stream too, which started off simply as the audios from the YouTube channel. But then over the course of time, it's evolved where I actually include some other different sort of bonus tracks on the audio stream, more of the longer format stuff. So I started way back then in 2014 and I'm still going. Every Wednesday morning, I release a new video which basically answers a viewer's question, which is key to the SEO strategy. And then I also have yes. guests on that come for live streams, which is not every week, but maybe once or twice a month. And then occasionally I'll have some other bonus material that I release as well. That's awesome. And I love the fact that you're leveraging both audio and video. And it seems like you actually started off with video and then incorporated audio, which is like the inverse. A lot of people start with and then get into, and then get into video. So with that being said, when you're starting to produce this content and you're getting it out there, you are releasing it. What are you seeing as far as like an impact to your business? How is your podcasting helping your business? Oh, that's a great question. So if you look at any model of the sales cycle, so you meet a client, there's always this beginning portion called rapport building where you get to know each other and the client develops an understanding of whether you're qualified or not. And they start to realize if they trust you or not, for example, right? and they want to carry on. And then you get into fact finding and uncovering their pain and all the way around until you actually make the sale. So what being online has done for me is it's automated the rapport building. So I will get emails from people who say, 
Hi, David, here's my project. I've just spent three or four hours a night over the last week watching your videos. And this is what I'm doing. And what does it look like to work with you? So they don't need to get to know me. They don't have to stop and think about whether they want to do business with me or whether they think I'm qualified. All of that's been addressed through the content of the videos. So I've, I've already demonstrated all of the things I need to convince them that I can do the work for them. And now they just want to step up and begin the work. And so that's the number one thing, but tying into what I said before about the, about why video over audio, it has to do with the nature of YouTube. When I first started and I realized I wanted to change my channel into a, a small business channel, I, I put out a video asking people if they were sitting down with me over a coffee, what would they like to ask me? And I got a bunch of responses, probably about 20, 20 different questions. And so then just each week I started answering each question. Now, once those videos are on YouTube, um, YouTube is the world's second largest search engine. So whenever somebody goes out there on Google or YouTube and they ask that question, if you're on Google, if one of my videos directly answers that question, Google is likely to serve up that video as a result in the search. And so over the course of the years, every week answering a new question from a viewer has created, if you want to think about a fisherman, it's like every week's video is another hook in the sea. So another opportunity for me to be discovered. And, and I think that's the big reason why YouTube was an important part of this over the audio, because a similar dynamic doesn't exist with the audio. Almost everyone who follows me on audio found me on YouTube. And sometimes I'll have like an hour long video where I'm interviewing someone in a live stream, for example, I'll, a lot of those videos, I can see the statistics on YouTube where after four or five minutes, there's a huge drop off in the number of viewers, but those same episodes will have three to four times the normal listenership on my audio feed. And it's because the listener, the, the people, in my audience understand that I'm on both. And so some of them might start watching the video and say, oh, I like this interview, but they're, then they tune into it in their car through their podcast catcher. I, I gotta say, uh, I have never heard that strategy before, but I, it, it's, it's brilliant. I'm going to go back and I want to unpack a little bit about this first, what you were talking about. So sure. I think there's something to be said when you go out there and you create a piece of content and you just ask people for their questions, because the one thing that comes to mind is that when somebody asks a question, first off, you know that there's probably a thousand other people asking that exact same question. Mm -hmm. But what you right. also see when they ask the question is how do they phrase it? How's that verbiage? And you've mentioned a couple of times the, the power of SEO. So you could sit there and try to imagine the questions that people are asking and you may or may not get them, but to actually ask them to say, hey, what questions do you have? Because I would love to answer these questions for you. You're using that verbiage. That's very clever. Well, and it's necessary. And, and, and I think this also ties into another bigger topic. We're talking about entrepreneurship. We're talking about business and we're talking to entrepreneurs. And just before the call, you had mentioned the difference between podcasters versus entrepreneurs who podcast. And so think about this. If you could address a room full of 20 people and talk with them about something important to them. And then one person came forward afterwards and said, I'd like to work with you. Would it be worth your while? And most business owners would say yes. And this is why people will go to places like the local Rotary Club or what have you and introduce themselves and talk to people. 
And so for some reason though, when people start to think about podcasts, they see these established popular big podcasters with the, the huge metrics of listeners and followers. And they go, wow, how am I ever going to get an audience that big? And the whole point is you don't need an audience that big. So when I make a video on a Wednesday, um, if one person in the next two years finds that video and reaches out and hires me, that's more than worth it, right? And a lot of people will be discouraged because their, their numbers, like their subscribers or their downloads or what have you will be small. After a year on YouTube, I think I had 350 or not even 500 subscribers. After another year, I might've been at 2000. And by year, end of year three, I think I didn't even double it. And so I was, I was very, very low. But once I got to 3000 subscribers, I was meeting a new client every week. It was more than enough. It's not how many people are out there. It's who they are. And, you know, there are people who found my videos and hired me who've never clicked subscribe. And so you have to tune out all that stuff. It's just not important at all. Here I am after eight years, this past weekend, Cliff, my subscriber base crossed the 20,000 mark, which is absolutely nothing in the world of YouTube videos. And I am busier than I've ever been before. And in the middle of hiring another person to my team, it's not about the subscribers. It's about how many clients you get. The only metric that matters is the sales, the revenue. And, um, being worried about how many people are, are following you or listening to you, that's got nothing to do with the performance of what is essentially for me is like a 400 episode long running commercial. It's all just marketing for me and waiting there for somebody to have a need that I can satisfy. And I love that you bring that up because that's one of the things that I address in my podcast challenge is that it doesn't, the, the number of downloads doesn't matter. What matters is if you're having that conversation with the right person that your message resonates with. And it's mm -hmm. great. And I'm glad that you pointed that out too, because you're bringing YouTube into the mix. Whereas I know people who are obsessed and they're like, you know, man, my subscribers, some, sometimes they might get like one a week. Sometimes it might be one a month. And they're, they're thinking about closing up shop because they're not getting 10,000 subscribers because they've been producing, you know, videos for over a few months. So it's great. It's great to have your, your perspective, uh, on that, which is like absolutely awesome. One of the things that I would really like to discuss, and this was something we chatted before I hit the record button is that you seem to be running a secret podcast for your clients. And I would love to talk more about how you're using uh, audio to service specifically your community. Yeah, sure. So I have clients that I work with and I mentioned that I have a group coaching program. So in that program, I meet with the members every uh, month, three different times, and it's a Zoom call. So it's, we get to see each other in that call. Some members can't make the call. And so I put the audio of those group calls into an archive, but I also have a guest speaker every month that comes into the group to talk about some aspect of either transactions or small business operations. So it could be a marketing expert or an SEO expert or someone coming in to talk about accounting or taxation, whatever have you. And so I record those guest speakers. And because the recording is strictly for the people that are in that paid group coaching group, we get really deep into the tactics and the hows. So this is how you do this. This is how you do this. This is how you do this. And it's very instructive. 
And it's almost like if you were to attend a, a guest speaker class somewhere about how to do something. So now those guest speakers though, I mean, their whole purpose in wanting to work with me is to grow their own business. And so some of the people that are in my group might decide to do business with them, but really people are looking for broad exposure. And so as a way of thanking people for being one of my guest speakers, in the month that I released the recording to my private group, I invite them to come and do a live stream on my main YouTube channel. And those conversations are a little bit different. They're more about the, why would you want to do this, et cetera. And that's my way of helping to promote the guest so that they get some, some value for the time they've invested with me. And again, now the YouTube channel has 20,000 subscribers. So it's a way of them to get out in front of a lot more people. And then to, some of them will then use that if they don't have their own podcast, they'll use that and share it in places like LinkedIn and whatnot to help promote themselves and give themselves more credibility, et cetera. So it's, it's a one, two, uh, process that allows me to get really great content for the people in my private group and in a way that people are happy to participate. Yeah. And that to me, again, it's something that's really great because you're leveraging the knowledge of other people to be able to serve your clients mm -hmm. or guests, like you said, in, in your group, uh, coaching program. And so how do you go about finding the guests to be on your show? Are they reaching out to you? Have they found you on YouTube and say, Hey, I'd like to come and speak to your group or how do you go about doing that? Oh, it's a great question. In the beginning, of course, I had to go hunt for them because they didn't know me, right? Now, what, I, what I've noticed in the last two years in particular, there's been a huge proliferation of these podcast booking agency services. And a lot more business people are looking to these services to promote themselves by securing bookings. And so now I get a lot of bookings. It's, it's, I've actually had to create a process for managing it because there's so many. And so they, the inquiries come in, my assistant and I will meet every second week and we'll review them. And then we've also had to introduce an investigation progress process. And here's why. If you have someone on your show, there is an implied endorsement, right? So me appearing on your show, Cliff, you're telling your listeners that you think that I have something important to say, right? So on my channel, I'm talking about buying, selling, financing, managing, investing in businesses. So if I have someone on who claims to be an expert in a certain domain, my listeners believe that I have endorsed this person, that they have credibility because they believe in me, because they trust me. And so it becomes even more important for me to actually make sure that I properly measure who these people are and what they've done. So I regularly get requests from people who are the authors of new books. And as a guy who's got seven titles on Amazon, I can tell you that if you can put together a Word document, you can become an author, right? Right. I, I know the process. And so whenever somebody claims to be an author, the very first thing that we do is ask them for a copy of the book. And I read it. And three quarters of them are garbage. And so that person doesn't come on the show. And then we start to look for any kind of indication of foul play in the online marketing space. What do I mean by that? Well, I was approached a little while ago by a guy from uh, a big city who was claiming to be a well-respected persona in the commercial real estate investing space. And their Instagram account had 10,045 followers. 
And they had made a total of 20 posts over the life of the account with comments uh, appearing on three. And so when we look at an account like that, what we realize is that this person actually has 47 followers and then they paid money to someone to get the other 10,000. Yeah. So when I see that, it's an immediate no, because this is a person trying to game the system with, by cheating basically. And I, I can't have that person on my show because they're, they're basically trying to misrepresent the reality of their scenario. I've had people who have come onto my show who have no social media presence at all, but are clearly experts at what they do. And so the conversation we have is very valuable. That's what I want. I want to create value for the listeners. I want my selection of a good guest to enhance the opinion of the listeners that listening to my show is a good way to spend their time. And so I've met people in places like LinkedIn where I've seen comments that they've made in conversations when people are posting and replying to each other. And I'll say, wow, that's a really smart person. I'll click on their profile. I'll send them a connection request. Um, and then maybe invite them for a 30 minute zoom chat. And when I see that they're doing something really cool or they're an expert in a really valuable area, I will invite them to come over. And, and sometimes these people aren't even in a position to monetize the appearance. Like th they're not looking for clients, but they're willing to participate in a conversation. And this will happen sometimes when I'm talking with people who, for example, might be a banker in a local marketplace, a bank that doesn't do any business out of state, for example but they're willing to come and talk to me because I, I don't know, I, I create that invitation and they're, they're happy to help. And they know that the comments they make could help someone else in a conversation with another banker in another place. And so the value that it brings to the listener is paramount. And once you start to get some of those statistics, like subscriber counts and things, people will start to show up out of the woodwork to try to get into your program because they're trying to take advantage of your social proof. And then there's the affiliate promoters. So I will get people all the time who will try to get me to become an affiliate of their program, whatever it is, sometimes for thousands of dollars. And my first response to those people is always great. Give me a key. I'm going to go in and check out your program. But what blows me away is in, in the last four years, I've asked that of every single one of those people, only one person has ever given me a key. Oh, wow. Right. So these people expect me to promote them and endorse them so that my audience will step up and pay money. And so that I get a cut of that money and they're not even going to show me what it is that the person's going to get. And, and so there is a lot of hucksterism in the online space. And back to your comment about podcasters versus entrepreneurs who podcast. It's interesting when I think about who I listen to, because I listen to podcasts. I'm an avid walker and hiker, and it's easy for me to put the ear pods in and listen to people as I'm, I'm walking through the neighborhood and stuff. Oh yeah. And the podcasts that I listen to, there's the one guy in particular, I'll use his name, uh, Henry Lopez. His show is called The How of Business. He used to be in Texas. Now he's in Florida. He is a multiple business owner has survived several successful partnerships, right? Has exited several businesses and he talks with business people and the depth of his experience is evident in the conversation and the questions that he's asking. And if you compare that to a large podcaster who talks about business, who's never been in business, their business is podcasting. 
you can tell the difference in the conversation. You know, a guest might say something and you're like, ooh, and, and in my mind, there's a follow-on to dig down that rabbit hole that that particular host might miss because they're not seeing it from an entrepreneur's point of view. And so one of the things that I started to do back in 2021 is every time I appeared on another person's show who was one of these experienced business owner type of people, the conversations were so great. I would offer to those hosts, give me an audio copy of the podcast. I'll put it on my own feed because I would love to get my own listeners to be listening to other quality conversations about business over those big brand, high profile guys who are jumping all over the place, all hyped up talking about how you need to, what is it? Uh, 12 X your effort or whatever the number is. And who really don't deliver anything of value They're I call them entrepreneur cheerleaders because they're swinging the pom-poms around and they're getting you all excited, but they don't actually say anything of value. They're not actually telling you what you can do or anything measurable. And the other, you know, issue I have for small business owners in particular is if you get into more of these mainstream business shows, you're going to be listening to interviews with Elon Musk or some person at General Electric or whoever these brand name, high profile CEO types. Well, I've got to tell you, I'm experienced in small business. Those people have no common understanding of day-to-day -day business that a small business person does. Uh, a, high pro a high profile CEO over a General Electric, they can have an idea and they have a whole army of doers who can then implement the strategy and the idea. That's not the case in small. So when you're a small business person, you're trying to figure out how you can grow sales by 20%. So you might be able to afford another person in your organization, right? Someone who's talking about how they were able to reduce the workload of some of their administrative staff through using an innovative tactic with Google Forms and Google Sheets, which you can have for free. That conversation is probably much more apropos to how you can improve your business than listening to the CEO of the big company. And so I started to put those interviews onto my audio feed to introduce my listeners to these other quality small business shows in an effort to, to get those people involved in better conversations. Nice. Nice. I absolutely. Yeah. I love that. And it's not just a matter of creating a community and creating the content to support the community, but it's also too going through the vetting process to make sure that the people that you're introducing your audience to is they're qualified, mm -hmm. that they're absolutely knowledgeable because you're right. When you do have somebody come on there, you are doing an implied endorsement. Yeah. And yeah. And I, I just endorsed Henry Lopez. I just said, he's got a great show. So when I look at his statistics for the ones that you can see, he's in the same boat as me. He gets a few hundred downloads of every episode. So again, it's not a huge audience, but Henry is, works with entrepreneurs, helping them through different things. He does a lot of startup coaching as well. And he's able to derive many new clients from that small audience. So for anyone out there who's thinking about doing a podcast, do not get discouraged by low numbers. It can take years for your audience to grow and it doesn't need to get big at all for it to start performing for you. The big audiences are only important to people who have to monetize through the audience. Yes. And this is where your giant brand name podcasters come into play because they need to have millions and millions of views because if they're going to use like the AdSense offerings on YouTube, for example, they might be earning a penny or two off every commercial that's watched. 
Well, you need huge volume. My kids watch YouTubers that play video games. Those guys have millions of, of subscribers, but they need that in order to make any money. If you're monetizing through some kind of commercial offering, whether it's a pool cleaning service in a city and all you're doing is giving maintenance tips on your channel, well, believe me, somebody is typing in pool service and your city's name into Google and your thing will come up. Yes. And having that presence online where, where that person can then go and watch a dozen of your videos and see who you are. And, and even if you feature different employees on each video, they can see that you've got knowledgeable employees and, and you're putting this information out there and you obviously know what you're doing. If they're going to compare you versus some other company that's got nothing out there, you're going to be the one they call and invite over for an opportunity to do the work. Yeah. And it reminds me of, and I'm probably going to wander a little bit off topic here, but it reminds me, I had a conversation with a friend of mine and we were talking about different local businesses that were having huge success by leveraging a YouTube. And he was telling me that there's a guy out there and all he does is cut grass and he makes videos around him cutting grass. And what he does is he shows up at a client's property. He sets up his you know, Go, GoPro cameras, whatever it is, and he cuts the grass. And every blue moon, when he's driving on his way home, he'll see a yard that hasn't been cut in forever. And he will stop and he'll ask yep. the person, hey, I will cut your yard for free. And the person's like, wow, okay. And first off, he's gotten so much business by just doing that. But second off, it's crazy the volume of views that this guy's getting from YouTube of him cutting grass. And it's like you said, it's that his business is growing. It's going absolutely gangbusters because first off, he's, he's just showing up, right? He's showing up online and just mm -hmm. saying, hey, this is what I do and creating a simple video around it. So there's something to be said for showing up for your audience and being of service to the people that you're trying to talk to. Yeah. And I'll tell you the number one thing, the, the most important thing, no matter what you're doing, whether it's YouTube or a strictly audio podcast is consistency. Um, yes. you will get an audience of people who are looking for you. And I, I know this because I do it myself. There's a podcast that comes out every Tuesday just after supper my time. And there's one that comes out every Saturday morning before I wake up. And every Wednesday morning and every Saturday afternoon, I'm looking for those new episodes because I'm an avid follower of those two programs. And whatever your commitment is, whatever you've decided is your schedule, you need to stick to it and you need to be consistent. So I release a video every Wednesday where I answer a question. It doesn't mean I make a video every Wednesday. Once a month, I block off a, a morning and I usually make four or five and they just, I upload them all. They just sit there unlisted. And then every uh, week, one of them is released. And here's how I use my content in an overall strategy. I create the video, I rip the audio. And so every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. my time, the video is released publicly and the audio is released on my, I use SoundCloud and the RSS feed is plugged into all the other services so that everyone can get it. And then I also have an email that goes out to my email distribution list, which I always invite people to sign up for my email list. It's almost 2000 people now on that list. And so they all get a, an email that morning. And the reason why I want to push the video so hard that day is that the YouTube algorithm looks for the viewership in the first 24 hours as one of the metrics to further promote the video. So 
the video is released, the audio is released, the email goes out, and then I will go and I, will, I put it on my blog as an embedded video. And then I will also put it onto medium.com as a little article with basically the embedded video. And I've got followers over there. And then I also put it on, it goes out to Facebook, it goes out to Twitter. There's an Instagram image that goes out inviting people to come to my blog site, which they can find through my Instagram profile. And then I also put a post onto LinkedIn. And on LinkedIn, they have a uh, sort of a subscription sub, uh, thing going on there now where people can subscribe to your weekly output. And so I put the YouTube video in an embedded LinkedIn article, and that gets pushed out to people who are following me on that platform. And then I will go to different groups that I'm in, and I've got about 100 groups I'm in, and I will just go through the list and I will think to myself, would this week's particular content be of interest to these people or these people or these people? And if the answer is yes, I will go and create a post in that group leading people to my article, which has the video embedded. And so it's a matter of trying, to, and, and so it sounds like a lot, Cliff, but once the process is created, all of this every week is done in less than 25 minutes because it's, it's literally all just templates from the week before cut and paste and changed and new YouTube link inserted. And so the, the one piece of work that I did, the one piece of content goes into all of these different places. And all of my videos at the end, I invite people, if you like the video and you don't want to miss them, sign up for my email list. And, and so that's how the email list grows, which in turn drives the viewers. It becomes a, an audience. And my number one focus online is not selling my services or product. My number one focus online is growing the audience. Because once people are in the audience, it's just a matter of me waiting for them to need me. Because it's not going to be a question. Like, when they need my services, the services I offer, they're not going to go with somebody else after they've been watching me for a long time because I'm the person that they're going to be comfortable with and familiar with. And so it's a, it's a marketing system based around people getting to know me and video and audio is the best way to do that. So I want to, I want to go back briefly and hit on a couple of topics. You really expose us to a lot. So I want to make sure that we kind of go back mm. and address this. So first off, you recording all your videos in one day back. Oh my goodness. Batching yep. has literally saved my bacon because it's so many times I get used to this whole, Oh, just do one thing every single day. But when I switched over to batching and just focused on creating, for instance, the interviews that I'm doing for this podcast here, I batch them and do all mm -hmm. the interviews every Monday and every Thursday. And my schedule is full for the next three weeks. But by the end of this month, I will have more than enough content for at least half a year. And so that's right. one of the things that I really want to point out because I'm, I'm glad you brought it out. The second thing that, that I want to focus on is I often tell people that podcasting is, should be looked at or viewed at as the tip of your online spear, right? You can create a podcast episode and then create mm. all of this different type of content. You're actually going one step up. You actually start with video then create the audio, and then you're creating articles for Medium and, and everything else. This is brilliant. For the distribution strategy that you have for getting your content out there, how did you develop that in the first place? I, I really do want to talk about that because a lot of people just think, oh, I'll just push out a podcast episode and then they're done. 
but you actually go through, like we're talking about LinkedIn groups and posting to these different platforms. How did you develop that overall strategy? I attended a, a training session. I think I paid a hundred dollars for it and it was all about developing your online content strategy. And that's what they taught me. Okay. That's super simple. So it was a real fast shortcut cliff <laughs> and, and, um, over the course of time, like when I first started implementing it, it just obviously dawned on me that, oh yeah, right. So you can create the thing, wait for people to go looking for it, or you can shortcut the process if you can find groups of people who may already have an interest. And then it also just, um, takes advantage of the fact that the world is not one or the online world is not one online place. Most people suffer from this echo chamber idea and, and we hear this often about uh, the media, right? So if you go on like, on Facebook and you're always interested in certain things, Facebook is going to show you that. And then pretty soon you get the idea that the whole internet is about the stuff you're looking at, but it's not, that's just your. And so other people experience the internet in different ways because of all these different platforms and algorithms. And so Quora.com, for example, Quora is a place where anyone can post a question and other people can. So I have an account on Quora. And I wait for Quora to send me an email saying somebody's asked a question about small business or buying or selling a small business. And so the reason why I'm waiting for those questions is often a question on Quora will be answered by one of my videos. So, that, so I'll go to Quora and I'll respond to the question and embed that video. Well, do you think some of the people who see that might end up becoming subscribers, right? And so it's all about how can we find out where like-minded individuals may already be congregating and then put the opportunity in front of them for them to start consuming the content. And so the, that course taught me the basics that I started off with, but then as I realized what really drove this, it's all about understanding customer journey. And, and by customer, I don't necessarily mean the customer of your product, but if we think about the customer as the consumer of your content, what is their journey? So they wake up every day and they're doing their regular thing, whatever they do, they go to work, they're, you know, take care of their children, what have you. And then they have certain interests that they're interested in. You know, if you looked at my inst Instagram feed and, and I'm 46, so people usually think Instagram's for younger people, uh, but I, I'm on Instagram. But if you saw my feed, it would be remarkably different from my daughter's feed. So my feed is filled with railroad photography, stoic philosophy quotes, and small business stuff. Because those are the things I'm interested in. Those were the, are the things I click like on. And that's the stuff it keeps feeding me. And so people are already out there with an interest in whatever it is you do. Just think about where those people already congregate and start putting your content over there for them to discover it more closely to home. Yes. And, and I think that's a very important point to bring up because when we think about our ideal customer avatar. One of the things that we have mm. to keep in mind is what are the platforms that they're using? Where are they looking for answers to, to their questions and then producing content on that platform. And, and so many times when, you know, I've talked to entrepreneurs and I'm like, well, what platforms is your ICA using? And they'll say, oh, well, they're using Facebook. Well, okay. So why are they using Facebook? Are they going to Facebook and typing in, how do I sell my small business? Probably not. But that would be a great question right. to pump into a YouTube channel, which then starts bringing people mm -hmm. to your content. Yeah. So a lot of people are very Facebook centric. And here's the thing with Facebook is that I think it's 
really great for communicating with people who are already in your audience or tribe that are already connected to you. But how do you build an audience on Facebook? How do you find those people? I think it can be a lot of, because Facebook isn't a search engine. It's a social network. And so that's right. I, I have done some things on Facebook. Uh, sometimes there's a few Facebook groups I'm a member of, and people will sometimes ask questions or other people who are in my audience will tag me in someone else's comment. They'll be like, oh, David Barnett should talk about this. And they'll tag me in it. And then I get a notification and I go over, well, what do I do? I, I post a link to the video that best addresses whatever they're talking about. Because my goal is not to answer their question and make them happy and go away. My goal is to get them to join my audience. So that's how I respond. I'll be like, oh, that's a great question. You know what? I talked about that two years ago in this video. And then that person who we already know is interested in that content, that topic, they're very likely to then subscribe to the channel. But yeah, it's, it's not um, only the person who asked the question, it's everybody else who's reading right. the question and reading through the comments. Because like we talked about before, if one person is asking the question, there's probably a thousand other people that are asking the same question in their mind. Exactly. Precisely. Yeah. So one of the things that I do want to talk about here is when you got started, you're creating videos, you're creating also all, the, all this audio content. What was one of the biggest challenges that you faced when you got started? When I, when I first got started, it was just being comfortable and getting used to doing it. I think when everyone starts off, they're very worried that they don't come across very professionally. And I would say, don't worry about it. Nobody's watching. Uh, so if you go uh, to my channel today, you will see a very relaxed, comfortable, confident fellow talking about whatever it is that I'm talking about that day. And I even have a tailor now who sponsors my channel because people were commenting on the fact that they didn't like my shirts. So, <laughs> um, so my, my assistant was able to arrange a deal with a tailor. So I look much better now too. But then if you go into my channel and you go back to 2014, it doesn't even, you won't even recognize me, but that's okay. I leave those videos up there because believe it or not, they still give you those videos from years and years ago, still get views. So they're still serving their purpose, but you'll see a very, very different version of me. And so as time went on, I grew into the role and became more comfortable and I'd sound more professional, et cetera. And not sweating the small stuff. There are videos that I've done, which contain errors. And after a few hundred people have viewed it, and then somebody comments and says, oh, wait, I think you miscalculated this one little thing. So what do you do? You panic and remove the video, or do you try to reshoot the video? Because if you upload the video again, it's got a different URL. You're starting your stats all over. All of the grounding and footing of the audience and the, the views that the previous version got are, are not part of the new upload. So what I learned was that, you know what, to air, all I do is I just respond to the comment. I go, oh yeah, I rechecked my work and you're right. I did make the mistake and, and here's the reality or here's how it is more properly done or whatever. And I'm, I'm a guy and I have sometimes made mistakes and I'm not afraid to admit that when a client hires me though, I, I can tell you that whatever is probably going to take them 20 hours to figure out, I probably realize after 10 or 12 minutes. And that's why people hire me just because I've looked at so many files over and over and over again, and I can cut through them so quickly. Accountants sometimes make mistakes too. I know this because, uh, I've seen them and I've talked with them about them. So it's, 
this idea that when you're on there, you have to be this immutable, infallible, monolithic, perfect thing all the time. I think that's what intimidates a lot of people in the beginning. I, I'm really glad that you brought up the fact that, you know, your beginning videos were not the best. You're, you're much more, you got a little bit more polish going on now. You've got a professional tailor, which absolutely cracks me up. First pod, you know, first, first person I talked to <laughs> that actually has a professional tailor for their online presence. But the thing is, and I want to point this out for anybody who's listening, is having this content out there actually shows your journey as well. Because you know what? There's people out there like Larry mm. King and Oprah Winfrey and stuff who they come across as completely professional. Those are the people that I used as a benchmark when I got started in podcasting. And you know what? You're not going to hit it. You're, you're not going to be Larry King. And you know what? Larry King wasn't always Larry King. There was a time when he got started and you know what? He was really bad and he didn't do really well. He's been doing this now for years. So I, I love that when people say online, don't compare your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 10 right? That's an unfair comparison. So to see, to be able to see your journey, document your journey allows your customer to say to themselves, Hey, you know what? This guy's just out there, you know, producing content and I love it. And they can see your, your evolution. You don't quit. You keep producing your content. Like you said before, consistency is king. And man, I, I this I, I have a feeling David that I could talk to you all day about this topic, but I do got to wrap this interview up. So with that being said, if somebody's listening to this right now and they want to check out your content, maybe follow you online, whatever it is, what's the best way for them to find you? The, the best way to find me is to go to davidcbarnett.com. That's my blog site. And from there's links to all the different platforms that I'm active on. So wherever you're, at, you're interested in following along, that's you can find me or follow me there. On that blog site, you can also easily sign up for my email list. And uh, the email list really is for anyone who's interested in learning about small business stuff, buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses. That's what I talk about. And the most common work that I've done with clients over the years have ended up being developed into online courses. It's one of the other things that I do to shortcut the way that I work with clients. So what I found is that everyone who wanted to buy a business, I was having the same conversations over and over again. And so now I have an online course called Business Buyer Advantage, which is now 13 and a half hours long. I keep adding to it. And it, it covers all the basics, all the most common stuff, et cetera. And it's by far the most economical way to spend time with me. And so when people say, I want to work with you and I want to buy a business and I don't know anything, I'll say, start there. And it gives people the tools to self uh, triage and get rid of 90% of the bad deals. on. And then when they do hire me to consult with them and work with them, our, our time together is much more expedient and focused because they're already familiar with the terms. They're familiar with the methodology. They're familiar with the roadmap. They're familiar with a lot of stuff already from the course material. And so then we can, you know, work through a file and analyze a deal in under 30 minutes because their base of knowledge has been elevated. And so you can learn about all that stuff over at davidcbarnett.com. And yeah, if, if you're interested in business, sign up for the email list. Awesome. And for our audience, we're going to have all those links down in the show notes down below. David, thank you so much for taking time today to talk with us. I've had a great conversation and I already know that I'm going to want you back on the podcast because there's a lot more to your story that we have to unpack. Oh, I always love to appear on podcast, Cliff. It's, it helps me grow my audience, don't you know? Oh, yeah. Number one reason why. David, <laughs> cheers. <laughs> 
Hey everyone, I wanted to let you know that enrollment for our free five-day Start My Business podcast challenge is officially open. If you're an entrepreneur and you're thinking a podcast would be a great way to grow your business, but you're not sure how to start one, then this challenge is for you. This challenge is designed by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Now, within the five-day challenge, you'll go from ground zero to having a fully operational podcast that you can use to start growing your business. I'll be sharing with you simple tips and tricks that took me years to learn that will prevent you from spending hours on one episode. Head over to startmybusinesspodcastchallenge.com or click on the link in the show notes down below. We'll see you there.